This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we get a visit from one of the ghosts of podcast past as we discuss NetApp Kubernetes services. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio in uh, in the Christmas theme. Um, we're going to go with the ghosts of Christmas past, or podcast past, rather. Oh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> you got a hint. You hear that laugh. Uh, so, Nick Howell is back. What's up, guys? Hi, Nick. How's it going? Super. So you're, you're not mad that we renamed it from the Communities Podcast, are you? This week on the NetApp Communities Podcast, I'm sorry, no. it's No, I'm not. I actually love the name Tech on Tap. I think you guys, it, it's this kind of proud papa moment that I every time I see a, an episode go up, for the last, what, three, four years now, I just it's kind of this, <laughs> the feels. Yep. Oh, it's getting me in the, I'm oh, becoming verklempt. Getting verklempt. Talk, Talk amongst yourselves. yourselves. I'll give you a topic. The Industrial Revolution was neither industrial nor a revolution. Discuss. Discuss. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it's awesome to be back, man. And uh love what you guys have done with this studio here. This is this is a lot better than what we used to have. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, I always joke that it's a storage closet, and technically it is. Yeah. There's storage written on the front door, but inside it's like this palatial mansion mm. of uh, soundproof boarding and podcast banners but anyway um yeah we're also share it with the video guys they, they come in here and do videos sometimes yeah, when i don't know <laughs> every now and then i come in there's like a green screen and like the tables are all moved i'm like uh who's messing with my stuff and then i realize it's not my stuff so you guys have come a long way by the way i just it's, there's a there's been this evolution of you know ever since i left in 2015 and it was pete and then pete and glenn and then you stepped in and then sully came in and there was this I, where are we at today? Is it, are you? Did everybody leave? Or are you just by yourself? I ran everybody off. Damn it! Um, so you know, Glenn and Andrew were albatrosses. Um, <laughs> they were holding me back for my true, <laughs> for my true destiny of being a solo podcast host. Now I can go from calling myself a co-host to host. Yes, there you go. My life is complete. The circle of life continues. Yes. Well, and, it's uh, it's. I said twenty fifteen. It's been an interesting. Interesting few years. Um, it's 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 interesting as well to land back at at NetApp, and I, I think we we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, here to kick things. We off. are. Um, can we can we do a montage? Sure. Montage. All right, Even so, Rocky had a montage. <laughs> so take it back to yeah. uh, when you left. Uh, so what did you do from there? Oh man, it, I, I have to say it was kind of one of the. Mo- I've I've written a couple of posts about it. Some people have read it. Um, it was kind of a devastating experience to uh, to go through that in 2015, and uh, I immediately got started getting the phone calls and everything like that, and ended up going to Cohesity. Uh, did that for a year. Got that was number 46 in the door at Cohesity, which was weird. You know, you you walk in the door and go, "All right, I'm here to be your tech evangelist. Give me a corporate card and a slide deck, and I'm gonna hit the road and I'm gonna go make the." And they looked at me and went, "Deck." We, we don't, no, we don't have any of that stuff. <laughs> You're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, all right, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And, you know, so it was fun starting something from scratch like that in a pre-GA startup scenario. Um, ultimately, it just, you know, once all the, the 
the Silicon Valley management starts coming in and bearing down their old old school ways into the startup vibe and mentality. You just start butting heads, and you know, ultimately we just decided to part ways. So, at the end of the day, uh, went and did uh, startup for a year. That was a great experience, a lot of fun, very fast paced, nothing like I've ever done in my in my life. Um, but I, I don't take it for granted in any way. Uh, and then I did something crazy and decided to take a sabbatical for six months that ended up turning into me trying to build a company and an app based on a few patents that I had submitted. Thanks, Google, for not letting me get those. Boo. And yeah. So basically... More like Boogle. Boogle. <laughs> blew a small fortune uh, doing that. And uh, we were going to do is digital receipts is what it was around for. I mean, Apple Pay and digital pay, uh, NFC payments and things like that were really hot. So that may sneak back up one of these days. Who knows? Uh, once... We get past some of that stuff, but no, the the real fun started during the um, the sabbatical when I kind of decided that I don't know. I've been at this twenty years, turning forty. Is this what I still want to do? Is this what I want to do on the back nine? You know, is on the, what do I want to? That's what I did for the first twenty. What do I want to do for the second twenty? And it really came down to what did I love doing as a kid? I loved video games and voiceover and um, that kind of, and I love podcasting. So I uh, ended up, I had been running the concession stand and busted wide open podcasts, you know, after doing the NetApp one for a couple of years at that point. So really went out and just took a company that I had already created for, you know, side hustle stuff called Orbital Jigsaw and formalized that even more into a uh, podcast network and found a bunch of great uh, creators, brought them on board. And it's basically a quid pro quo scenario. We pay for their hosting. They tout us and represent us as you know, we're all one team and whatnot, but I, something something happened in, in 20 earlier this year, and I, I had convinced myself that I was done with tech and I was going to be a full-time podcaster and voiceover artist, and things were going great. You know, there was no real, real need for any of that, but one of those, it, as it always happens, one of those things came across my desk where it's like, hey, you know anybody good for this role? And I started, I took it for granted, went by for a few days, and I was like, hey, I forgot I owed them that, and I went and started reading the role, and I was like, hmm. That sounds pretty good. I wonder, that sounds like Nick Howell on a piece of paper. And that's where we ended up. So, I mean, as of July, when I first got that, to being hired September, I started in September. And it's it's basically just been this thrill ride of three and a half years of, you know, I come back in here to RTP and everybody's still sitting in their place for the most part. And I get, IT turns all my stuff back on and there's all my stuff from 2012 it's still all in there. Wow, we kept it. They, they kept it's crazy. it all. Forewarning, they keep it all. <laughs> Man, I guess there's <laughs> like FYI. Some, yeah, I guess there's some like uh, regulation stuff you gotta account yeah, for. Yeah, those pesky SEC guys, you know. Yeah. yeah. So um, your sabbatical included uh, growing out a luscious beard. Yes. And man bun. Yes. Um, so was this like kind of like a midlife crisis? No, it's funny <laughs> you ask that. I, I had this qu- this conversation with my parents too, and it was one of the things where. You need to shave that thing off. Okay, no. In a way, it was almost like shedding the skin of a previous life or a previous persona and being this this tech guy for those 20 years and then trying to become something else. It was all part of it. And then I met a lovely lady who I fell in love with, and she likes it more than I do. And any any conversation about ever shaving it off is instantly just nullified. It, it will, it'll never happen. It might get trimmed a little bit, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. But the beard is the beard is life now. It's 
I spend more on that and the upkeep of that than I do my hair. Do you ever watch Kids in the Hall? Oh, yeah. Have you seen the beard skit? I don't remember that one, though. No. Where the guy goes on vacation, he comes back, he's got a beard. It's like a, you know, it's a, it's a humble beard. Yeah. But he's like obsessed with it. And it takes him over and makes him more feral. Yeah. And eventually he throws himself <laughs> from a balcony. And the, and the beard disappears magically. No. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, the beard had, had moved on to its next host. Uh, so it was a uh, it was a symbiote. It was a symbiotic beard. It was oh, fantastic. I, I promise mine is, does it does take on a life of its own in the shapes that it forms. Especially after when you wake up in the morning, it's all over the place. But, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a love and a science to to growing them and anybody that has big long beards or has ever gotten past the itchy stage of growing a beard uh, a long beard knows exactly what i'm talking about there's a there's a lot of upkeep there's a lot of brushes there's a lot of balms there's a lot of oils there's shampoos a lot of stuff that you have to do to really keep it going i just do winter growth man i'm like all right winter you know keeps my face warm and then spring comes around i shave it off especially now that i'm getting more gray and it's like man i look old this is about two years Uh, i was november the end of november that thanksgiving two years ago and uh, it's it's a long process. Yeah, I can't. I don't have that patience. <laughs> I don't have that patience or attention span. All right. So, um, tell me a little bit about what you've been doing since you've been back. You know, tell me about what this new yeah. role entails and what it is, and you know what you're working on. Yeah, I mean, so to so to go back, I, I previously we as a t- was a TME on the virtualization team, call them the VTMEs, or you know, it was it started out with myself and Vaughn Stewart and Chris Gebhardt and. You know, shout out to Julian and Rachel and Jack and all of the other people. And Pete eventually joined us. Um, I think that in that that service that time period was very valuable because you learned how to become an influencer within internally within, and how to talk, work with product management, how to work with customers, how to do presentations. All of those that experience was invaluable. So bringing that to the table in the role now, on I'm a technical partner manager for those of you in the NetApp field. Uh, on the cloud first program. And what that is, is essentially is a sort of tiger team of people that are going out working with partners that have established cloud business practices in order to take advantage of, of our CDS portfolio. So in order to some of the new technologies we've got around cloud volumes and cloud volumes on tap, uh, SaaS backup is coming out or has been out for a while, but we're ramping that up even more. Some of the newer stuff, specifically fo- in that portfolio, specifically um, focused on partner enablement. So this is all things cloud, not just a specific cloud area. So like stuff like NetApp Data Availability Services fits into that as well. Uh, to an extent, not as much yet. The primary focuses are going to be the cloud volumes and uh, cloud volumes on tap. Okay, um, but we're going to see some other things as those. Those are think of those as kind of the foundation of the house. Once those evolve more, we're going to get more of the kind of higher tier applications that need to leverage those. Um, kind of just waiting around on some features to show up. Okay. So I've noticed that uh, cloud volumes services and cloud volumes on tap have a very similar name. They do. Um, that's, that's unfortunate. That's a feature, not a bug. Yep. Uh, so if you could clarify what those two things are. Oh, absolutely. Uh, cloud volumes on tap is the. On tap cloud or cloud on tap, whichever name it was previously or that you you know like more, it's a literal, it's a virtual instance of our on tap software running in a virtual machine inside of either Azure or AWS. I don't think we can do it on Google yet, but we're working on it. But it gives you all of the features that you would normally be used to with an on prem uh, storage array, uh, on tap filer. 
So the difference between that and cloud volume service, cloud volume service is a managed service. And it is uh, for AWS and for GCP, this is an important thing to clarify. For AWS and GCP, it's a cross-connected in Equinix managed storage array where we abstract all of the storage management nerdiness and all you have to do is create volumes and do your snapshots. That's that th- sounds like something people would want. They very much so. <laughs> very, very much so. And it's it's as we've gone throughout this this quarter and we're getting into twenty nineteen, it's only gonna ramp up even more and it's gonna become the foundation for a lot of other tier one applications. Our own cloud services are gonna be able to consume it, like NKS, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, there are all kinds of reasons why you would want to use cloud volume service because you get rid of all of the storage system headaches that you typically wouldn't want to manage. It plays really well into the uh, DevOps or batch processing kind of stuff where you can just sync up some data, throw a ton of compute at it, and then bring it back and turn everything off. Pay for it as you go, all of that kind of stuff. And it's really just pay- charged on a capacity demand as, as if you're just buying another service from the hyperscaler. Yeah, not only DevOps, but also like the AI, ML stuff. You know, when you get a bunch of data you want to analyze, throw it into the cloud, run it in there, finish. Big time. Right? Yep, big time. I guess they would leverage some GPU as well in the cloud, It depends yeah. if they need it. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't make a difference as to whether or not we it, the, our storage was using it or not. Um, the, uh, the third peg of that stool that I want to talk about is Azure NetApp File, more intimately known as ANF. And the difference between this one and the cloud volume service that happens on AWS and GCP is that it's literally an A700 all flash FAS sitting and directly connected in the Microsoft data center, directly connected to your your VPC. You, you have a dedicated VNet that is going to that that tenancy, and it's you're getting all of the performance. That is the core difference. It's a first-party service from Microsoft. We're not in the middle. Microsoft is buying the storage arrays and putting them in their data center. Are so, they running SMB? Uh, yes, but whether or not Azure, Microsoft Azure writes the code to expose that yet is up to them. I'm just saying, I mean, you know, if they're running SMB and they're Microsoft, they must have some faith. Yeah. I, you know. The, the Gotta fu- have faith. faith, I, know faith. The, I know the storage arrays are running it. I don't know. Again, one of the side, uh, maybe unintended consequences of, of doing it this way is that we're beholden to Microsoft to write the, to code in the the components to Azure, so all of the features that you would typically expect from a storage array, it's it's completely one hundred percent up to them as to whether or not they include those as part of the Azure delivery. So we'll see what happens. We'll with see it. what happens. Yeah, it's we're you know it's we're really excited about it. It's currently in a limited preview, so you have to be a certain kind of partner with Microsoft and have a certain kind of customer in order to get into it. Um, the first half of the calendar year. 2019 is going to be really exciting because they're going to start turning all the widgets on. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I, that's the one I'm mostly excited about. It's actually my one of my focus areas is Azure NetApp Files. So if anybody has any questions about that, nhowell at netapp.com, let me know. And we'll definitely, especially partners, we'll definitely uh, get a hold of you guys and get you set up. Are you guys going to do the Gmail thing where you have to send invites to, to be a because that you know creates buzz a little bit. <laughs> you know there is a, there is the nature again. This is not being we're, this is not us. This is a Microsoft's you know how they're coming to market with it. But we've got a lot of plans around like what apps can be run on it. The beauty of ANF because you have that direct access to the the storage system is you're getting sub millisecond late latency, and depending on the tier of service you choose, you can get 
you know, hundreds of thousands of IOPS out of this thing and, you know, upwards of, you know, three gigabit per second throughput if you want it, if your credit card's got a high enough limit on it. There, there's really no limits, kind of like you would have some limits with using like EFS or EBS kind of stuff in AWS, just their glass ceilings that they have. None of that. None of that in Azure. So for the enterprisey Microsoft familiar, or, you know, I heard a stat recently that um, 60% of the virtual machines running in Azure are running Linux. 60% of the workloads are, are Linux-based. So they also had a huge gap with needing NFS. So we fill the, the performance gap. We do uh, NFS? What's that? We do NFS? NAS for life. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we do this little thing called NFS. I, yeah, I don't know if you guys heard have heard. I've heard of it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we fill absolutely fill those that gap uh, in Azure um, with sixty percent of their workloads being Linux based. There's definitely a need uh, for a performant uh, NFS app, uh, delivery mechanism there, and we got it. We got you covered. So, what sort of workloads are people looking at for the for the Net, uh, Azure NetApp files? It's a little odd when we when we first started doing virtualization. It was more of the low hanging fruit and start with the ones that don't really matter that much and. You know, eh, let's let's dip our toe in the water a little bit. This is almost I'm finding is almost completely opposite because you're delivering that performance tier, and that's what people are wanting out of the cloud. They're wanting the reliability, the the data integrity, and they're wanting that that performance. And those are things that you typically wouldn't associate with a public cloud. Uh, you're gonna you know you're always gonna have that kind of eh, I don't know, but you know maybe we don't need it. Unless you built some crazy robust system like Netflix did, you know, with Chaos Monkey and all kinds of craziness going on. What this brings to the table is almost the complete opposite of what we dealt with virtualization. We're starting with the big apps, the big Linux, Oracle, SAP and Oracle are great examples. They are, they can be small, lightweight instances running multiple in, in clusters, right? And they need high performance storage with no latency. So they couldn't really do that in any of the other cloud scenarios, this introduces, this kind of opens that door wide open to, to allow those tier one applications that really demand uh, lo- very low latency and high performance, high throughput to, uh, to, to live in Azure. So it's funny how VMware's virtualization started with the low-hanging fruit, but now we're coming out swinging with the tier one apps. Well, it makes sense financially, right? Because, I mean, you're looking at these tier one apps that cost a lot of money to maintain, and, you know, if it goes down, you're in trouble. If you take it to the cloud, you know, you're paying as you go, you're paying as you need it, and then you also have somebody else on the hook. Yep. Uh, one of the other big applications we're seeing is, I, I mentioned batch processing earlier. That's just my easy way of saying you need a truckload of compute to throw at something for a, you know, a finite period of time. And the beauty of this is it can all be scripted and automated. So we have uh, several kind of genomics customers that are taking huge batches of genomic data syncing it up, whether it's using our cloud sync or our sync or something along those lines to move the data, throwing a truckload of compute at it at the highest possible tier of service, and then sh- pulling it, pulling the results off, shutting all the, the CPU workloads down. In a matter, they could do that in a matter of, you know, what used to take them eight hours, they can do it in 30 minutes now because they can throw an infinite amount of compute at it. And yeah. it's, it's crazy to see some of the applications of that just to crunch data and end up with information. Like you mentioned, the AI applications, that's going to be huge. I think really huge, especially in the next two to three years. So I think the, we're in the early beginnings of this high-performance cloud storage um, archetype of things that we're getting out there. Yeah, and in the holiday tradition, also financials, right? When you have stores are trying to run batch processing of you know 
credit cards and everything, you can do that in the cloud as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that bring that's a great segue into NKS. Uh, one of the beauties of of Kubernetes is the ability to orchestrate. I always give people people that are familiar with virtualization and kind of data center infrastructure don't quite get. I don't want to say they don't, but a lot of them don't quite get Kubernetes containers. It's it's a different world to live in, right? And there's even newer things now beyond Kubernetes and stuff like serverless lambdas, lambda functions, where you're just you're just executing code. You're not even there's there's no infrastructure, whether it's on prem or not. So Kubernetes, I always make the analogy to people that are familiar with infrastructure. It's it's essentially vCenter. It's essentially what you got out of vCenter. You have a a cluster of hosts on both of them, and they're both managed by this kind of meta layer, uh, whether it's vCenter or Kubernetes. Where NKS comes into play is that you can have multiple Kubernetes clusters deployed anywhere in the world, and you can adopt those into NKS agnostically, regardless of what hyperscaler they're on or whether it's on your on-prem kit or on our HCI stuff. All of it can just be kind of inherited and adopted into this centrally managed place that's abstracted into one meta layer higher, bring in something like Istio Mesh, and you can now span application workloads across hyperscalers, across on-prem kit, et cetera. You can just build it how you want to. And it all is managed by Kubernetes and by NKS. So for those not familiar, this is the StackPoint Cloud acquisition we did a few months ago. And those guys are, those guys are rock stars. So if you have something that can bring everything into a single location, what's a common industry term one would use for that? Oh, God. I'm going to – is there a uh, – we're going to play buzzword, but single pane of glass. Yeah. yeah. Bingo. That's like that's like a common – that's one of our podcast uh, Easter eggs is nice. making, making our guests say single pane of glass. <laughs> You made me do it. No. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, so back on topic, uh, as I like to take us off topic. Um, so, what sort of things does NKS bring to the table that you wouldn't normally get from just running Kubernetes yourself? Sure. Um, imagine running a bunch of different disparate Kubernetes clusters in various places. Whether you've got one on your laptop or one on a server on-prem, and you've got a couple of test dev environments in each of the hyperscalers. Well, what if you just centrally manage all of those? And I'm not talking about like globally deploying an app, which you can absolutely do. Let's say I want to run a single application in an Istio mesh across on-prem and all three major hyperscalers. I mean, sure, in architecture, but that's not, it's not that realistic to do that. But you could certainly design something like that. You're just going to deal with latency and everything. You brought up the, uh, the holiday season uh, a few minutes ago. And that's kind of a great use case. Think about the uh, the Best Buys or the Amazons of the world that have to have these huge days of shopping, Nordstroms or Bath and Beyond or Bed Bath and Beyond, etc. All these guys, they have to build infrastructure that's capable of running on those two to three days a year of huge demand. But most of the t- most of the year, it's sitting there probably using only ten percent, waiting for those days to get here. Now, with something like the cloud and um, Kubernetes, even NKS, you can basically just burst, and it'll spin up new instances of it. Um, we had one retailer that I think Dave Hitz was talking about at Insight uh, earlier this year in the keynote, where they, they scaled back their infrastructure so much, and they only had two days a year where they had extreme demand. And using NKS, they were able to just spin up thousands of instances of this of their web app to do online orders and then as soon as the demand as the demand dies down so they it 
shuts it all down automatically for you. So you literally just sit back there with your arms folded and go watch it work and wait for something to break. But you'll see any number, Kubernetes will control the web app spinning up multiple instances on all of these worker nodes. And it'll, it'll even spin up additional worker nodes as demand increases on the, in the cloud or on-prem. So it's really, really powerful stuff. And it, it for me, the Kubernetes movement that's happening right now across the industry it feels kind of like 2006 VMware. Like we're getting ready to move on to, you know, here we are 10 years, 12 years later, the next thing. And it's starting, and even though the next, next thing is already being worked on, with regards to lambdas and you know code execution type of platforms, you know there's arguments over who's a PaaS and who's an IaaS and who does this and who. We're going to go through all of that stuff again. Get ready, guys. For those of you in the field, for those of you at partners, uh, you're getting ready to have a lot of the same conversations again that you had in 2006, 2008 around virtualization, the trust issues, uh, how do we deploy it, what's the right protocols, what do I need for my storage, all of that stuff. You're getting ready to have those conversations again. So prepare yourself. Take some one-on-one classes, get ready. So I'm, I'm going to give a real-world story of why this might be useful for somebody in that field. So I worked in a dot-com, and around the holiday season, we would get hammered. We ran a website. It was all online. This wasn't pets.com, No, was it? it was not pets.com. It was art.com. Okay. We sold posters. So um, essentially what you'd have is you'd have an infrastructure, and you ran it all year. Most of the year, it worked great. But then Christmas would come around, and you would get hammered. Yep. And inevitably, it would go down. It would always be at, like, 2 in the morning. <laughs> right. And you get all the little text messages, ding, ding, ding. And you're like, oh, man, this stinks. So if you're using something like NKS, you can run your normal infrastructure for your normal workload during the year. And then when you get that bursty stuff around the holidays, like you said, it just spins up. You fall like you go to sleep. You don't wake up because you don't have to because NKS is doing it all for you. Yep. It's, it's fantastic. And, and even to continue the virtualization analogy, we even got to a point in virtualization where we could have five or six virtual machines, standardized templates, spun up or, or at least configured. And when demand drove it, we had some kind of orchestration thing that would hit a certain ceiling or threshold and it would fire up. But you still had to sit there and wait five or ten minutes for the thing to boot up before the application could run. Now you're talking about seconds. Yeah, containers definitely reduces that time. Just you and spin up the things you need. Thousands of them in seconds. If you yep. if you so desire and have the underlying resources to do so, yeah, there are very, very large giant, you know, Fortune one hundred retailers out there using this today. So when you go to their website and you are, you know, when hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people all hit their website on Black Friday, they instantly spun up tens of thousands of instances of their web app within a platform like Kubernetes. Yep. So that's what the this has the power to do is massive scale. And it's it's a combination of what we've learned over the past five years with Docker and containers, microservices in general, refactoring of applications and looking at things the new way, SaaS-based applications in the cloud, such as on-prem exchange versus Office 365. And if you look at Office 365, there's another good story on the background for that kind of stuff. So all kinds of good stuff is getting ready to happen with Kubernetes. And for those of you that are going to be either using it or selling it or helping to install it or configure it, um, be ready because if you've been in the industry for the last ten to twelve years, uh, you heard it from Nick. That's it's gonna we're gonna be back to doing all of that stuff just like we did for VMware, answering all those questions the same way we did before, for a different purpose ultimately. But you know, this time we're gonna be eliminating infrastructure, not adding it.
All right, there you have it, NetApp Kubernetes Services with NetApp's new cloud technical program manager, Nick Howell. If you want to reach out to Nick, you can email him at nick.howell at netapp.com or find him on Twitter at datacenterdude. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Nick Howell for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.